Barry Lynn joins us. The Reverend Barry Lynn was the executive director of Americans United for Separation of Church and State from 1992 to November of 2017. He is an ordained minister in the United Church of, I, th- I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, Christ. Did I get that right? Yes, you certainly did. Thank it's you. It's admirable because it's so confusing at this time of year. It sure is. It most certainly is. You are a reverend and a lawyer and an author. Many of your books are available over at Amazon. You might want to pick up Piety and Politics, the right-wing assault on religious freedom. Or, yeah. or, or God and government. Piety and Politics. Well, you could pick up both of them. Yeah. Uh, that's probably a way to buy both of them in the same order and, and avoid paying some tiny fraction of taxes or shipping. Isn't it pronounced piety? No, no, it's it's piety. Now I'm confused. I really am. I thought I was making a, a joke. <laughs> so, no, I, I've told you this three times. We went to the Merriam-Webster dictionary people, and because you constantly mispronounce what is, in fact, piety as piety, I asked them to change it, and, so oh. they, and, and they did change it. Oh, so now okay. it's piety. Okay. It's pronounced P. Oh, so I get what you're trying to do. Yeah. Try and just. So now I'm going to say piety. Confuse you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, Reverend, where are you? Where did we get you today? I'm uh, on the South Shore, south of Boston, about uh, 25 miles uh, in in Hanover, Massachusetts, right now. How was your my, Christmas? My Christmas was terrific. The only uh, potential drawback I, I do have, as I've mentioned a couple times, possibly a hundred times, uh, two two-year-old granddaughters, uh, both of whom uh, have been sick uh, most of the last week, and uh, they had some of their small friends over for the last few hours, and uh, they were all sick too. So now I'm sick. Well, I'm sick as well. Were you here? Were you hiding somewhere no, in their but, house? No, but I am uh, down for the count. Luckily, okay. you can do this show sick. It's actually better when you're sick. <laughs> That's great. Then it should be twice as good because we're both. <coughs> yes, yes. America. That was, that was a good. That's the kind of sound that you make when you call your employer to explain on a Monday when you've really been up late watching football. Uh-huh. That you're sick, and you go, I I really feel... (coughs) That's good. (coughs) So let me ask you what the symptoms are. Do you have, I guess you have a cough, right? A wet cough. cough. Is it a wet cough? No, it's it's a dry cough, because this is a very dry house in which I'm living. I'm trying to... uh, to put humidity into the air. I'm obsessed with the idea that you should sleep as a human being pretty much in a greenhouse so, so the humidity is incredibly high because then you don't get a cough, then you don't choke, your eyes don't become irritable, you don't sneeze. It just, if, if anything, you just feel like you're drowning when you wake up in the middle of the night. I always feel like I'm drowning when I wake up in the middle of the night. That's because I've, I'm incontinent, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> that's another story. That's another I, story. When you wake up, don't call me. I won't. I'll get electrocuted. <laughs> I, my, my bed isn't grounded. So do you have a sore throat? Yeah, of course. Of course I do. Don't you? Yes. Do you have yeah, a stuffed well, nose? Yes, I do have that too. And are you logy and kind of blue? Oh, absolutely. Because you don't feel well. Exactly. But it's a good season. I mean, I want to feel good. And I do feel good about uh, when I take enough medications and am in a room with a humidifier, then I do feel pretty good. And I like it. And I think we should. Um, that's what I'm, I'm searching for for the new year. Right. I want to celebrate the new year cold-free, sniffle-free, cough-free, and runny-nose-free. Okay. Now, you're a reverend? 
Yes, I am. You're an ordained minister. Yes, I am. Let's talk about Christmas, the important stuff. What did you get? Uh, I got some uh, woolly uh, kind of socks that are kind of slippers from someone's mother. But, you know, I didn't get anything, like, from my my wife. I didn't get anything from her at all. I don't want anything. I don't need more stuff. I'm trying to get rid of stuff. I don't want more stuff. And so when people were criticizing the president for saying, admitting that he had only gotten a card for Melania, but at, as of some period late in the Christmas Eve, he still hadn't bought her a present, and people were going, and they were insulting him. Mm-hmm. And I thought, he's just like me, because I'll bet I won't be getting a present either. I had gotten my wife a present, though. Do you want to know what I got her? Is it clean? I mean, can we talk about yes, it? it? Is. Okay. Yes, it is. I got her a book about environmental law. I got her a a little kind of fake gold necklace. I got it in deep discount at the Target store for $15. And I, I got her some ginger chews, which have some kind of quasi-medical benefit for her. Okay. Now, I'm yeah. not violating your privacy by saying that you married way above your <laughs> your weight, no. your class. No, I, I, I certainly agree with that. Yeah. And uh, uh, perhaps she would agree with it, too. But I'll tell you what really proved this to me is I, we have a niece who's a professional photographer, and she was recovering some of my late mother-in-law's old black and white negatives, and she was printing them out about six months ago. And, and at a family get-together, she said, these are some pictures I found of you and Joanne uh, when you first got married. And I was a I was a genuinely uh, bizarre-looking person at that time. Now, what is it? Did she say that, or did you? No, I said that. I looked at myself and I said, "My God, who could dress like that and have this the hairstyle that I had?" You mean the the collar? You're talking about the the minister collar and the the black shirt? No, no, I'm talking. Those are perennials. It's that's like seersucker, Reverend. That never goes out of style. What are you talking about? Seersucker never does. I did own seersucker a seersucker suit once. I I think I did wear it once or twice, but I came a long way because by 1970, um, I was being referred to as telegenic by no less an authority on appearance than Penthouse Magazine. And they said, he is a telegenic man defending people's right to read. See? Yeah. Well, is that because your wife dressed you? Uh, well, she she kept saying go to the store when they have those four suits for $100 and get four. Yeah, four. she... Okay. Yeah, because why... I didn't think you had to pay more than $25 for a suit. Why would you do that? Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. But then when she decided maybe I ought to go a little higher, then I went, I, I shopped at Labor Day, Memorial Day, at some of these chain stores that are around. I don't want to give them any free publicity, but you could buy three suits. Mm-hmm. You get to pay the first 100% of the first one, although it was deeply discounted. Then you get the second one for 50% uh, off and the third for 75% off. And that's the kind of shopper that I was. And I don't shop anymore because, as I just told you, I don't want to get any more stuff. I don't want any more suits. I don't want any more ties. I don't want any more shirts. I don't want any more shoes. I just want to be left alone with the possessions I have uh, and the music that I still buy. <laughs> well, if you vote for Bernie, that. we will come and take everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, could you take it? Uh, 
before you even get elected. Yeah. Hey, in the Bernie administration, let me be serious about it. What do you expect to be in Bernie's administration? Do you expect, for example, to be on the communications staff or in the White House, perhaps a spokesperson for President Sanders? I will probably be criticizing him the day after he's sworn in. Well, he will be a disappointment. He will be the greatest disappointment of my life. I love Bernie. They would never. Yeah, I know you do. Yeah, I love him. But the minute he becomes president, I hate him. That's, that's, you know, that's our job. Why don't you give him a week? No. Well, he's going to criticize him on the very first day. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I, I mean. I'm sorry to hear that. I would I would give him at least a week, maybe even a month. Well, let me ask you about candidates who say we need to, you know, calm the nation down and dial back the, the rancor. What if this is just the way it's always going to be from now on? It's the, the way it always was. Yeah. So get no, over no. that. Like, you know, if you want to be president, you want to run for office, wear a cup. And, you know, it's going to get bad, you know. Sure. I mean, you know, if you read uh, books and there's several good books written about the press during the immediate post-colonial period, I mean, newspapers would print anything. They would print, you know, they came out with one or two editions a day in a place like Philadelphia. And in the morning edition, they might say that somebody named the guy and accuse him of being a thief. And then people would show up at his house and try to burn his house down. And then even if it wasn't true, that it didn't matter because the damage was either done or not done. Maybe the guy was able to come out and say, wait a minute, I didn't do this. I have proof. Somebody else did it. But the rancor of those early post-colonial newspapers in many of the colonies was unmatched. I mean, it was matched. By what we see today, but when people say, oh, we shouldn't go negative, if you're running for office, why the hell wouldn't you go negative about the people you're running against? That's the whole point of being elected. People don't go, oh, well, he's not that bad. You right. want to say, he's, yeah, he's really terrible. That's why I want to be in the shoes of him or her because I'm better. And that's what we ought to say. And that's what we ought to run on. And I've always said that. And uh, if you ever run for office, uh, and, I'm, and then I'm going to run against you and say all the things that, you know, I want to say on this program every week, but I'm afraid to. Well, we know you're thinking of them. Yeah, no, I am. In fact, I, what I do, I, I scratch out little notes and little mm-hmm. pictures, and you ought to see what I'm drawing right now. <laughs> By the way, this whole show, I, let me see if, can you hear me coughing? Hang on. Of course I can. All right, how about now? <coughs> Did you hear that one? Of course one? I can. Well, how are you going to convince me and the listeners that you are sick if I can't even hear you cough on All right, me? hang on. I'm going to hit the cough button. Okay. And you tell me yeah, if okay. you can hear it. All right, one, two, three. <coughs> Did you hear that? Of course I can hear it. You heard that? Of course I can hear it. All right, let me try this. Most of these cough buttons don't even work. Oh, you know what? This is the cough button that makes me cough. Okay, let me try this oh, one. Yeah. Hang on. Okay. Did you hear that? No. You didn't hear that? No, I didn't hear it. Hang on. No, you didn't hear that? No, I didn't hear it. Nope. Oh, okay. And now I know which button to hit. That's great. i glad I can help. So I managed to uh, get you to pronounce the word Christ correctly, and I've gotten you to find the correct cough button. That's a twofer. Before this segment is over, I'm hoping we do a third so that I can get a trifecta of corrections to David Feldman. Maybe I'll pronounce I'll pronounce piety properly. So Christmas, 
Do, do, is yeah. there, there's no mention of Christmas in the in the New Testament. Of course, there's not. In fact, the early uh, the early Christians who came to the United States in general opposed. They didn't just not celebrate. They opposed using this as a celebratory moment. They they may have gone to church, but they didn't put up trees and they didn't put up lights and they didn't go to the shopping malls that didn't even exist and they didn't have stuff to return the day after Christmas. They just they just had a certain spiritual connection to this holiday, but they affirmatively did not believe in celebrating Christmas. And do we know whether or not Jesus was born on December, what, 25th? Yeah, no, we're almost certain he wasn't. He was probably born in the spring. But this this became uh, a time of celebration, and, and uh, it was defined as the 25th of December centuries ago, and probably centuries after any historical Jesus died. So no, this has not, this is, this was not a winter event. There was no snow in the manger. The three wise men did not have to ride on camels through the snow. None of that would have happened. Okay. It's an interesting myth. It's, I mean, it's, I, um, like I like the Santa Claus myth too, but I don't really think he delivered uh, 17 billion presents just two nights ago, flying in a sled with magic reindeer. But I do listen for them uh, every every Christmas Eve, and sometimes I'm convinced I actually hear them. Do so, you ever hear them? I do hear things. Have- I hear I've got, no, you know, noise on my roof. Christmas night. You think night. it's reindeer? I think it could be reindeer. More likely roof rats. Yep, could be roof rats. And they, they, you know, they, uh, you know, speaking of, uh, can I say, I want to, I, I must say that there is something that I now agree with about President Trump. Uh, he, he gave this long rambling speech a few days ago to a group of conservative, uh, young people, and he explained that he was against windmills. He said he had studied them extensively, that we don't make many in the United States. Uh, and he also said that they're a danger to birds. And he said that if you go to a windmill and look underneath it, it looks like a bird cemetery. So, and I've always been skeptical of wind power uh, for a couple of reasons. One is, uh, it's, they're very noisy. Anybody that's gone to that big wind farm at the southernmost tip of, of the United States, which is in, in the southernmost island of, in Hawaii, uh, it's noisy. It, it makes a hell of a racket. It's very annoying and it, it scars the landscape. But there happens to be one just about two Miles from from where I'm speaking to you now. Oh, this is the one today, Ted Kennedy wanted to block. That's well. This was not one that he wanted to block, but yes, it's the same idea. They're an annoying environmental fixture. But so I went to see whether there was it was a bird cemetery, and I I went I drove into the parking lot where there's a building underneath the windmill. And I looked in the ground, and it's been snowing up here, so it was a lot of wet stuff on the ground, and what appeared, frankly, to be a dead rodent. I didn't see any birds, but I did see a dead rodent. So maybe it was killed by the windmills, maybe it had climbed up in the windmill, or maybe it was just because it was right next to a mall that was showing eight movies, one of which was Cats. Ah. See? Could have been that. Could have been, could have yeah. been. So, f- funerals for pets. Would would Jesus approve of people burying their dogs with a tombstone or their cat and having a tombstone? What would Jesus say about that? Yeah, I have a feeling he'd be okay with that, frankly, because um, it's the spirit of being connected to this other species so much that you really care about its death. And when it dies, and um, 
you want to bury it in some way, honor it in some way, I think he'd be fine with that. Can, can, I think he would not be fine with building a very large uh, mausoleum uh, to a cat or even to a dog, but certainly not to a cat. Can a, can a cat or a dog have a religion? Um, do you ever see the play cats? Uh, I walked out of it. Yeah, I, I desperately wanted to, but but I didn't have the courage of my conviction uh, to walk out. But the, what? Some of those cats did ritualistic things, so maybe they were practicing a religion. But there's there's no cats were occasionally viewed as sacred animals in certain Egyptian traditions, but um, as far as I know. There's not an organized religion for dogs or for cats, uh, but it's another good racket to think about. And in fact, to get back to the church, the church of Feldman, Feldman yes, yeah, go on. But you, could, but you should have a, a kind of auxiliary, a pet auxiliary. A cat, cats are better than dogs. So many people like cats. They have an enormous number of them. Uh, I'm highly allergic to them, so I'm never going to come. You never invited me to any service at the Church of Feldman, even though I'm, you know, I do this chaplaincy thing for you every week. But yeah, set it up and then start to collect money. And, uh, it will just be one more stream of revenue, as we call it in the church business, stream of revenue for the Church of Feldman. Now, the, Church of Feldman, can we buy up medical debt? I hear that's a big thing now with churches. No, it's a very interesting phenomenon. There is an organization. It's called RIP, as in rest in peace, RIP Medical Debt. It's a nonprofit that uses donations that are given to it to buy bundles of medical debt and then erase that debt. And you and I have talked about medical debt. It's crushing. If that you can buy $50,000 worth of medical debt of other people for about $500. And there's actually a church, the Christian Assembly Church out in Eagle Rock, California, that uh, a few nights ago at a service, they announced that uh, they were, they've been given $53,000 from parishioners to erase $5.3 million wow. in debt. Now, that sounds good, and it is good, but you have to know what you're doing. And ironically, I happen to be having dinner just tonight with somebody who works in this field. And he said, it's an interesting idea, but you have to do it very carefully because in some states, if you forgive someone else's debt, that becomes a taxable event for them, and they could end up having to be taxed for it. They're also... You have to be careful whose debt you're buying because in some states there are hospitals that although they keep sending you bills, never, ever bother to try to enforce that debt. So you got to know what you're doing. Well, hang That's on for one second. So it's, idea. Yeah, well, let, let's go over this for a second because I find this interesting. And it might be a good income stream for the Church of Feldman. Possibly. If So people get sick. They borrow money in America to pay sure. their medical bills. That's debt. Yep. When you don't pay that, it gets passed off to, it's purchased by usually a collection agency buys that debt from the hospital, right? So if you owe, that's right. If you owe the hospital $100,000, they realize they can't collect it. So they'll give it, they'll sell it to a collection agency for say, what twenty five thousand dollars? Yeah, I mean, is often ten percent of the face value of it, and then the collection agency uh, has a couple of options, as I understand. There's a couple of options to try to collect it. Um, they might negotiate with a person in debt to pay a fraction of the debt. They might make a deal with the person or with the hospital they're buying it from uh, to give uh, to get a certain amount for every one of these debt collections that is successful or at least successful at a, a certain level but it's a it's a very big business another reason said, we're not going to get medicare for all 
just another tentacle yeah. that profits off it people is. being sick. No, it absolutely is. But, you know, these are, um, yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? It's, it's it, This is part of the system. The, but as I said, the... The, the truth of this is that there are a lot of medical-related debts that are never, in fact, collected. You can keep getting the letters for years, you owe this, you owe this plus interest, but nobody's ever going to come to your house and try to collect it. So before you start buying off somebody else's medical debt to be a generous and good person, you have to be sure that it was going to be enforceable debt in the first place. Okay, and that's for, complicated. For the Church of Feldman. Yeah, how are you going to work it? What if we we buy the debt? You say we can buy like $100,000 worth of debt for $500? Yeah, no, I think I said for $1,000, but let's not quibble. Yeah, you can get it for next to nothing. What, 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 wait, you can buy $100,000 of debt for how much? $1,000. Okay, and I say to my listeners, help us buy medical debt. Yes. Donate. Yep. And we will buy this medical debt. That's right. And then we will try to collect that medical debt from the people who owe it. Yep. And, you and, could do that. Right. And but we then would you say, would be profiting off of their misery, the well, we, very we, thing no, 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 that no, you no, and I no. don't agree. We're telling them this is, you know, you you didn't pay this because you owed it to the hospital, and the hospital is evil. Now sure. this debt is owned by the Church of Feldman. That's right. You have a moral responsibility to pay the Church of Feldman. Exactly. And so we we tell the people who are giving the money that we're going to forgive their debt. That's right. And maybe we forgive some of it. We're not lying. We said we'd forgive their debt. We didn't say we were going to forgive all of their debt. <laughs> yeah. It, I got a sense you're not willing to work with me on this. <laughs> um, let, me, let me just, uh, I, let me finish this picture I've been drawing for the last 20. Uh, no, I, I, I think that would be a, that would be a bad idea. I mean, it's a clever idea, but I think it would ultimately be a bad and immoral and a downright evil idea. But hey, look, there are a lot of things that happen in America's religious groups groups all over the world. A guy I used to debate a lot, Alan Keyes, who was the uh, Ronald Reagan's ambassador to the United Nations, uh, I notice is now getting in hot water because he is selling some kind of a bleach product. Right. You talked about this last cure week. Everything. Yeah. Well, that's a racket. I can hook you up with him if you have no sense of morality or decency, yeah. which you're kind of demonstrating about the medical debt. I'm sure you and Alan would get along fine. I'm just saying we buy the medical debt and we have the listeners chip in. Yeah. And we promise that we're going to forgive the medical debt. Yeah. We just don't tell them that we're not forgiving all of it. It's good. It, we could write that. The disclaimer. Okay. You know, it, Perhaps you give to charities, right? What's the point of you setting up the Church of Feldman if I don't live better? If I don't end up, I don't get I two jets out of this? So you can live better, so that you don't have rats on your roof making noises. I want that to happen to you because I, I, I do, I care about you. I like you. I think you're a very smart and very funny person. So I want to do good things for you, but kind of like your debt buying scheme, it doesn't mean I want to give you everything and it doesn't mean that I want to help you become a multimillionaire. Did you see on ABC the other night that long two-hour piece about Tammy Faye and Jim Baker? Uh, she passed away. He's still around. She did. He's selling she like uh, bunker food. Yes, he's selling bunker food. And he's he's selling it in the same way that, uh, do you know that he he was in prison for a while and he 
he was originally sentenced to 45 years in prison. Then he got a lawyer, perhaps you've heard of him, Alan Dershowitz, Great man. who managed to reduce that time to, I think, two and a half years. Which is usually the age of his girlfriends. I wouldn't comment on that. Yeah. I was doing a deep dive into um, YouTube, and I came across a uh, a recording that I think, although I, I didn't watch much of it, but I think it was two hours long of a debate in which uh, Alan and myself and a couple of other people were on with Bill Buckley debating some topic. But I... Uh, I mean, I just hope that doesn't leak out in the in the event that I run for president in four years. I'd like to see that. I'd like to well, see that. And, Talk, just, just, okay, go to you. I don't know where it is. I don't know what it. Just go put in Alan Dershowitz, Bill Buckley, Barry Lynn, and I bet you're going to find it. Okay. Talk to me about the big Christianity Today fizzle. Yeah, that was a big fizzle. Uh, we talked about it last week, and I said that Christianity Today is not nearly uh, as significant a publication as it was in the uh, when it was founded by Billy Graham and through the 60s. I was interested, though, to see that the circulation numbers of Christianity Today, after they published a, an editorial just last week suggesting that it was time for Donald Trump not only to be impeached, but to be removed from office. And it created an, just an enormous amount of blowback from right-wing uh, Christian groups. But it did gain them more circulation. But now that we're through this by about a week, it's clear that some of the people who thought they were subscribing to some liberal, progressive Christian magazine uh, find out that this magazine is still bitterly homophobic, anti-choice, in regard to abortion and birth control, and they're not, they're not going to like what they see. And also, mainstream religious people, I just saw a blog about this today, said if it takes this magazine this long and a claim of defilement of national security to call for someone to be removed from office, that means that person, that publication, has been able to avoid saying anything about children in cages, cutbacks to health services to food, groping women, that all of that stuff apparently wasn't enough. But when you say, well, you could destabilize Ukraine, that's a national security issue, he should be impeached and thrown out of office, that that's a, being a little bit of a good Christian well too late. And i got to say, they're right. And as I said, I think last week, there are these weird things in that editorial. Uh, some of the things that the president has done are fine. What's fine? There's nothing he has done that's fine. Uh, short of sending out a, perhaps you didn't get a greeting card from him, uh, but uh, here's what it was. It says, at Christmas, we remember this eternal truth. Every person is a beloved child of God. I guess that's why we took, uh, what, 200 kids away from their parents on Christmas Eve, caged them, and then told them to take care of each other. That's why we recently uh, found uh, that we're going to be cutting food assistance for 700,000 people. I guess that's what it means to be a beloved child of God in the church of Donald Trump. They really took 200 kids on Christmas Eve? Yeah, there were there's there are well-documented photos of of a group of kids, some like 2 years old. They wouldn't let them close to their parents or relatives, and they had them basically in a, in a cage. Uh and they they were basically being told, look, we don't have enough people to take care of you. Take care of yourself. You, you got a kid brother? Take care of them. Kids were sick. And, of course, we know uh, from the past experiences this, that children have, have literally died under those conditions, uh, sometimes while being monitored uh, by officials at the border. I mean, it's just beyond human conception that this could be tolerated. 
You're right. It is. Amen. 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 Yeah. Amen. I'll say no, that. No joke. I'm not going to make no. a joke. It's no. disgusting. It really is. 55%. Latest poll I saw today, 55% of Americans now want him removed from office. 40% don't. And the other 15% aren't sure yet. Aren't yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, what does Mayor Pete get right about religion? Well, Mayor Pete uh, today uh, uh, sent out a little tweet in which he said, um, you know, he's not doing terribly well with African-American voters. But this could change because literally a couple hours ago he tweeted out, uh, extending warm wishes to all those celebrating the start of Kwanzaa. See? This is how connected he is to the African-American community. But here's how disconnected he is from the Christian community. He did send out a thing the day before Christmas, a tweet, in which he uh, thanked, uh, was appreciative of, uh, wanted to honor everybody's celebration of Christmas. But very, in a very calculated way, he never mentioned Jesus. So he didn't mention the birth of Jesus he just made some reference to this is a season in which the divine came to earth. See, that's a, that sounds a little new agey to a lot of people who just wanted to know, you know, it's about Jesus. That's the reason for the season, as the bumper sticker says. But Mayor Pete just apparently couldn't get to that level of commitment. So he managed to screw that up. I don't know if this wishing people a happy start to Kwanzaa is going to go over. If it does, I mean, he's already missed solstice, which is, of course, a big pagan and Wiccan holiday. And I don't think he tweeted about that. So, you know, I have always hated the very fact that people have outreach forces or outreach organizations or parts of their organizations based on religion. You shouldn't have Jewish outreach, Muslim outreach, Presbyterian outreach. If it's if it's a moral issue and it's a moral message, then focus people on the moral question, not on what religion they're ostensibly affiliated with. I've always hated that. I hated that back in the day when when uh, Al Gore had a religious outreach person. And uh, she was quoted in the New York Times about how this was going to be a major uh, factor in the campaign. And it was, it's a, it's a very bad idea. I don't think that Jimmy Carter, who's without a doubt still the most conventionally religious person who's ever served in the presidency in modern history, possibly ever, he's still out building Habitat for Humanity buildings, but he didn't have a, religious outreach program. He didn't have a White House office of faith-based initiatives like both uh, George Bush and, uh, and and Barack Obama had. He, he just did it. By their fruits, you shall know them. That, of course, is something I, I, I quoted to you uh, just a week or two ago uh, from the letter to James of one of the things that drives the religious right craziest is because it says in that book, very short book, you could read it like between coughs, um, by their fruits you shall know them. Yeah. How long Faith does it take to... Well, he actually said, it, it, it actually, I, I, mis, I misquoted that. It, it's what, what the book of James says is faith without works is dead. Faith without work is is dead. Now, James was Jesus' brother? Probably the letter was written to him, but it's very unclear. There's a lot of dispute about exactly who most of the recipients of those letters were. But but Jesus had a brother named Jimmy. James. James. Yep. Jimmy. They called him Jimmy. Yeah, they, well, they, they called him a... Once, they, I think they called him Jimbo once, <laughs> and he was very irritated by that. And, uh. Um, was he the younger or older brother? No, I think he was an older bl- brother. That must suck. You know, it, it was probably terrible. Hey, you were probably pretty happy today, though, weren't you? I'm never happy. <laughs> I didn't think, I meant relatively speaking, because of a religious phenomenon. 
uh, perhaps you, do you know Rabbi Arnold Reznikov by any chance? Rabbi Arnold Reznikov. No. I, I, I have a Reznikov, but I've learned <laughs> well, how to use the button. <laughs> well, you know, they're having these pro forma sessions of the House of Representatives just in case anybody needs to get any urgent business done. And they actually had one today, and Rabbi Reznikov gave the opening prayer. And it got a little attention because it's actually a, a pretty affirming prayer. But what got more attention was the fact that he was wearing a tie with a dreidel on it. Ah. What is a dreidel? A, a dreidel is a betting game that kids play yeah. during Hanukkah. It's this little thing that you spin yeah. and, and you bet on will it land on like Aleph or what, whatever the Hebrew. Baltic Avenue. Yeah, kind of like that. And you bet with. Yeah. Uh, so he wore a tie with images of dreidels on it. And it got a lot of, I, I was sent many uh, links to C-SPAN's uh, very brief house session this morning. And two minutes of it was uh, Rabbi Reznikov in his dreidel tie giving a, a, a very thoughtful prayer. But I just thought perhaps because you obviously don't uh, you don't worry about having chaplains paid for uh, by the taxpayers or, or this this event of having uh, local religious leaders uh, pray uh, for free for two minutes every day. I, I thought you might know Rabbi Reznikov. Well, I don't um, approve of of dreidels. So. No, I don't, I don't think you should. I think you should be opposed to dreidels. And, uh, what, what's going on there? That was a, a phone call coming in. Uh, let me just, let me see, see who that, um, hello? Yeah, and this, uh, this guy's, uh, I don't think you could hear that, but he, uh, he said that because of my fine payment history, he had some credit card information that he wanted to pass on to me so that I could lower my, my credit card rate. Ah, did you tell him you don't, you, you don't buy stuff? Yeah, I, I, but I pay for it. Okay. See, I pay. Before but, you go. Yeah. Let's talk about Richard Jewell. I'd love to. That's but the Clint to, Eastwood but, movie, right? Yeah, I, I would love to do that, and I am going to do that, but I want to, I just feel compelled to talk about how the Democrats could still screw up impeachment. Do we have a few minutes for sure. that? Sure. Okay. One of the things, uh, I, I believe I talked about this on, on this show last week. Uh, this is an idea that now has been taken up. I, I don't think he heard it from me, but who knows? Maybe he listens to your show. Larry Tribe, the great Harvard law professor, had it um, also and wrote a piece in the Washington Post a few days after you and I talked. It's Nancy Pelosi doesn't send the articles of impeachment over to the Senate for some time. And my position was she should send it over to the Senate. Never, ever. Just, it's over. It's a corrupt system. Mitch McConnell has said not only that he can't be, uh, can't be impartial, he's not an impartial juror, he says, but also that he's going to work in lockstep with the White House. And I was uh, upset back in the Clinton impeachment days when Tom Daschle, who was then the Democratic leader in the Senate, did occasionally talk to the White House staff about the process of the impeachment. That troubled me. But it, at least Daschle never said or even suggested he was going to work in lockstep with whatever the White House lawyers wanted. Now what has happened is Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, whom uh, for whom I don't have a great deal of love, uh, but Schumer says, well, we're going to demand that there be four witnesses in the Senate at the trial. And Mitch McConnell so far, as we're talking the day after Christmas here, uh, he says, uh, no, we're not having any witnesses whatsoever. So what would happen is the chief justice of the Supreme Court, who is the judge 
So it's that's not a completely accurate phrase, but it's the one everybody uses. The judge over the impeachment of Donald Trump in the Senate, he could rule on the admissibility or the existence of any specific witnesses. Do we know that for certain? Have they ever decided how much the chief justice can do during an impeachment? Well, I think trial? there's a I think there's a general consensus that he says. He makes the first rulings. In other words, if he decides, he looks over whatever the agreements have been made. They will make some agreements. How long is it going to take? He gets to make certain decisions. If he says, I think this process would be best served if the four witnesses that uh, Chuck Schumer wants uh, were, in fact, at least deposed, not necessarily in front of the whole Senate, they deposed people like Monica Lewinsky uh, for hours on um, on video uh, prior to the the trial of, uh, of Bill Clinton, but she wasn't there. Nobody wanted her there. They, they thought that would every side thought it would be cruel. It would look stupid, and uh, it it wouldn't benefit either either party. But but I, he makes the decision. But then let's say Mitch McConnell says, "Well, you know, Your Honor, and all." Frankly, uh, I disagree with that. And I would like to take a vote, as he has the right to do, take a vote on whether those witnesses would show up. And if they get 51 senators to overrule the chief justice, then I think this general view is that those witnesses would not show up. And now everybody's apoplectic. They're so excited about having a fair trial because Lisa Murkowski, uh, who's actually, you know, kind of a reasonable person, a senator from Alaska, um, she said uh, just about 24 hours ago that she was uh, disturbed, disturbed. And this follows in the footsteps of Susan Collins of Maine, desperately trying to save her own Senate seat, who was troubled by the idea of close collaboration, near identity between the uh, the Senate. Almost as sure. disturbed and troubled by the behavior of uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, they were both. Well, Lisa Murkowski, you know, actually wasn't there for the vote, but she did say if she had been there, uh, she would have voted against him. Of course, Susan Collins made this big pitch. I'm going to speak at a certain hour, three o'clock on a Friday afternoon. I'm going to tell you what I decide and then gives an unnecessarily a affirmative view of how great a guy Brett Kavanaugh is. And she's never backed down on that. And the woman who's running against her, Sarah Gideon in Maine, has just amassed an enormous war chest to run against Susan Collins. And the polls I've seen lately show that Susan Collins is, in fact, in real trouble. But when you take those two people and uh, you know uh, our, our friend Mitt Romney, he's he he's upset about some of this and there are other people who might, you know, I saw some articles uh, today and then this is you know I'm in New England, I'm not even in Washington. Ben Sass, Cory Gardner who's almost certainly going to lose his Senate seat in Colorado, that they might be maybes. So if you got three people to vote essentially with the chief justice and against the will of Mitch McConnell, you could reverse that negative decision. I mean, you, you could end up with these witnesses showing up or being. So everybody's getting excited about that. And this is why I'm not getting excited about it. Um, it's great to talk about how you want a fair trial, but do we even know anything about what, will be said by those four people, Mick Mulvaney, John Bolton, two other officials. You know, it's kind of law school first day of criminal justice. Whoever your professor is always says, never call a witness unless you know what she or he is going to say. But I think there's a bigger problem here, and that is, let's say somebody like... uh, like John Bolton, why do we think he would tell the truth? 
why wouldn't he just spin it? He's not. He's got a you know, $2 million book deal. Yeah, why wouldn't he wait for the book? Because, well, I mean. Well, no, why wouldn't he wait for the book? Why would he? In fact, here's the other thing. And there's just nothing written about this. I, I was going to call our mutual friend, Corey Brett Schneider, uh, but I didn't have my phone hooked up up here, so I couldn't. But why? You don't lose your right against uh, self-incrimination. You don't lose your Fifth Amendment rights just because you're a witness before a government body. You have to be careful what you say. You have to. You, it's not true that you can't answer any questions. That's kind of a fiction developed from television. There are questions you can answer, and then you can stop and say, "No, I'm not going any further." because that might incriminate me. So why wouldn't these lawyers, John Bolton's lawyer, why wouldn't he say, just just don't say much of anything. Say a few things. If you want to confirm, it gets dangerous if you confirm what someone has said he overheard you saying, that gets you in trouble. Just, just don't say anything. Right, right. And then we get nothing out of it. So we get the appearance of a fair trial because there are witnesses who appear, but they don't say anything. And why would you? Right. Why would these thugs say anything? They shouldn't. <clears throat> yep. I mean, if they want. Yeah. Okay. But let me, it's Richard Jewell. Richard Jewell. Okay. This is a horrible story. I'm glad Clint Eastwood told it. Uh, we were at the Olympics in 96, three days before these bo- this bombing occurred, and it was a horrendous event. I mean, t- there's a beautiful, uh, the prospect of w- kind of world peace for a couple of weeks at the Olympics, of course, had been shattered by uh, the killing of Israeli athletes some years before, but this was this was a wonderful event, and here's this guy Richard Jewell, who is accused by the Atlanta Journal Constitution of being the person who not only found the bomb, called it in so that people were able to be moved away from the blast site, but also said the Atlanta Journal Constitution he was uh, he was the bomber. He fit the profile of a lone white guy interested in being in law enforcement. He fit that profile, and they pilloried him. And newspapers all over the country focused almost exclusively on Richard Jewell as the bomber. Now, the criticism from this, from a lot of my friends on the left, is from Two sources. One is they say it fits into Clint Eastwood's vision that the media is your enemy and the government is your enemy. Well, the FBI, that one way or another did convey misinformation that led to Richard Jewell's vilification. That, you know, in the 60s and the 70s, people like us, we didn't like the FBI. They weren't the good guys now because of Jim Comey and other people. Well, the FBI has really cleaned up its act. Well, I'm very skeptical of that, and I don't care if people say, well, Clint Eastwood, I mean, he's just so far much a right-winger, he doesn't even like the FBI. And then the other criticism they have is that there is a, a composite FBI agent in the film. In other words, uh, there it, he does not exist in real life. There's also a reporter who does exist and she died recently. She did exist in real life and she is depicted in a bar kind of cuddling up to this fictitious FBI agent suggesting that she wanted some information and then she'd go to bed with him. Right. And that's viewed as horrible. So I did a lot of research on this. I was kind of fascinated by this for a long time. And uh, she was, uh, there's no evidence she ever slept with anyone for the sake of a story, but there's a lot of reporting of how provocatively she dressed, how she seemed to use her appearance, you know, conventionally attractive woman, uh, to get information. So, no, she maybe she never slept with anybody, but, my God, if she was using those 
what used to be called the feminine wiles to get information and they just ratcheted it up a notch. She still got the information from somebody and she used this technique and that's on the historical record. So go see the movie. Okay. Enjoy it. All right. And, and the hell with this criticism from my fellow leftists. I don't believe it. I don't believe it stains the fact that this was a guy whose life was literally ruined because, yes, there was big media, and, yes, there was some leak from the FBI that ruined the man's life. And that's did they ever find story. out who did it? Yes, Eric Rudolph. That's right. That's right. He did Rudolph. other bombings as well, right? What? He did other bombings as well, right? Yes, he did. And it took, but it took them years to find him. And of course, had they not focused so much attention at the beginning of the investigation on the crime on Richard Jewell, it's possible they would have found him earlier. But that's just speculation. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn was the executive director of Americans United for Separation of Church and State from 1992 to November of 2017. He is an ordained minister in the United Church of I hope I'm getting this right. Christ? Yep. yep. I pronounced that right. He is also a, a lawyer and author of many great books, including Piety and Politics. Yep, that's it. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. That's certainly it. And what's the other one? Uh, I like the other one better. Let me look. What, what's the other one? God I can't mispronounce God. that. What? God. God and government. God That's and the government. Second. Yeah, which you can buy all these at bookstores. At Amazon, Amazon, you can yeah. buy them. At, I still see them in bookstores every once in a while. How do, uh, how do people follow you on Twitter? Uh, it's a, I think you go to uh, Real Rev Barry Lynn. I, I think I have some more slots still open, although I must say a lot of your listeners are filling these up on Facebook, whatever that limit is, 5,000 people or something. I always um, accept the friendship of Facebook people that are listeners of yours. Well, let me ask you a and question it, Yes, before you go. Yes. When did you get the cold? I got this cold uh, in earnest about five days ago. Oh, okay. I got it about three days ago and what kind of yeah. medicine are you using because you sound great i mean you're clear-headed and well I, you see to, to me what was that oh hang on look, did you, let me yeah yeah go did back. you hear that no okay well we no. learned how to use the cough button today that's, so that's great i'm yeah. so i don't think i have a, a cough button on this but I'm sure you have a much more elaborate uh, studio than my makeshift uh, studio right here uh, in Hanover, Massachusetts. What, what medicines are you on? Because I'm, I'm about well, to I, use some. I don't. I'm not taking any cold medicines. I don't believe. I mean, I, I don't think they're generally effective. I do think if if you haven't gotten the, you're just getting the cold. If you said I just started it three hours ago, I'd say take zinc tablets. I right. do think that that delays the onset. But once the thing's fully blown from the head of Zeus grown, there's not much you can do. I, I try to, I have a, such a sore throat at night, I have to take a chloroseptic or spray it in my throat. Did you say such a, it. did you, did you just say such a sore throat? Yeah. I thought you were a reverend, not a rabbi. <laughs> It's good, though. Um, hey, I got one more religious point to make. Okay. When I was uh, in seminary, I, I went to school in Boston, and I was able to take courses anywhere, at Harvard, at Boston University, at Boston College. And at Boston College, I took a, uh, a class um, in Zen Buddhism from a Jesuit priest, and the final exam was the following incident. This is what happened. You walked in. He said, this is your question for the final exam. I'm writing this on the blackboard. God is dog spelled backwards. He said, write about that. Well, people were scratching their heads. And, but I was sitting there going, 
I think I have a perfect answer. I just wrote, we had those things called blue books. You know, I remember them. I remember blue yeah. books, yeah. So I opened it to the first page. I wrote my name, and then I wrote the word yes. And I got an A. Is that true? Yes, it is true. That's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's great. Well, on that positive a note. Well, happy uh, uh, New Year. We won't talk to you. Well, let's see. Next week. Yeah, we'll probably talk next week. Yeah, let's do it next week. Share some New Year's resolutions. I'd love to do that because maybe if we talk late enough in the week, uh, it'll be the second maybe of January, and then we can talk about the ones we've already broken. Yes. How's that? Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. I'll talk to you next week. Stand in line for one second, Reverend. Thank you.